Blog Talk Radio. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Wine Talk for today, Wednesday, November 17th, 2010. It's 7 p.m. Eastern, and I'm your host, Stu the Wine Guru, coming to you live from beautiful Coral Springs, Florida, as I always do. calls anytime during the show at 1-646-381-4860 or email me your questions at info at stewthewineguru.com. You can also go into my chat room here on the show page and chat with other wine enthusiasts or tweet me any questions you like to at stewthewineguru on Twitter and I'll read them live on the show. I want to thanks want to say thanks to all the listeners out there for getting the word out about my show. Welcome to all of you listening worldwide. I call that the power of the people meets the power of the Internet. Now, if you want to find out more about me, just Google Stu the Wine Guru. You can find the websites, videos, articles, and shows I'm currently a part of. Speaking of articles and reviews, I'm writing wine articles and reviews for Yahoo and The Examiner, so look for those as well. I've made a Wine 101 series of videos that can be viewed on both YouTube, my website, or just about anywhere on the Internet, so check those out. In fact, my latest is Wines of South Africa and I highlight the Sauvignon Blanc of a fantastic new vintner, Seven Springs, from Hermanus, West Cape Town area in South Africa, so check it out. Hey, this is Sly Stallone. You're listening to Stu the Wine Guru on blogtalkradio.com. When I'm out making action pictures, I'm listening too. Right now, I'm sipping on a nice Tusker Red. No actual celebrities were used in the making of this promo. Only celebrity impersonators. Hey, hi, this is uh, John Ratzenberger. When I'm not doing voiceovers for movies or doing commercials, I'm listening to Stu the Wine Guru. I suggest you do the same. No actual celebrities were used in the making of this promo. Only celebrity impersonators. So tonight I have a wine-making phenom from Napa Valley. He is part of a winemaking family that has been making wines for many years in Calistoga, Vengi Vineyards. His dad, Nils Vengi, 
is a well-known winemaker, and he is following in his dad's footsteps and doing it well. The name of the Napa Valley Vineyard he's now lending his talents to is Tudal Family Winery. His name is Kirk Vengi, and he will be joining us shortly. Of course, the number to call in is 1-646-381-4860, or if you're shy and you prefer the computer, email me your questions for both Kirk and I to info at stewthewineguru.com, or you can tweet your questions to at stewthewineguru on Twitter. I'll read it live here on the show. As always, I've opened a chat room for the listeners to go into and chat. You can ask questions of Kirk or myself, and I'll check into the chat room periodically during the show to get answers for you. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Either. Okay, I know I haven't been in a movie in a while. I got it. It's okay. I've embraced it. But when I'm not being either, I'm listening to Stu, the wine guru. Scott, you'll get your turn, okay? (laughs) No actual celebrities were used in the making of this promo. Just celebrity impersonators. Yeah, hi, this is Tony Danza. You listen to Stu the Wine Guru. He's not bad. I listen to him every once in a while. You know, drink a Tuscan Red, try to take down the edge. Pretty good. I like him. Not bad. But first up, I want to thank the listeners who are following me on Twitter. I love social media. I can talk directly to my listeners and my guests alike. I like giving updates in real time, and my guests are doing the same to promote the show, so thanks to Twitter and social media. Some show notes. My next TV appearance will be airing in January. I'll be a guest on the Emmy Award-winning PBS show, Check, Please, South Florida. I'll be kicking off the fifth season, so look for that. I've also been asked to be on the hot CNBC World Show wine portfolio with host Jody Ness. They're taking on the Miami wine and food scene And I'll be showing them where to go and discussing my radio show and the wine industry. Taping starts this coming Saturday, and the show will air in January as well. I am literally psyched for this shoot. There will also be more TV appearances. I'll let you know as they happen. Also, I'll be narrating a promotional digital video for multiple Napa Valley wineries. So check out my website, and you'll be able to find out when that will be available. For all of you wanting to know what events I'll be attending so you can meet up with me, like my tweeples do on Twitter, in January I'll be a media sponsor at the second annual Key West Food and Wine Festival, January 27th through the 30th. Come meet me there. February 23rd through the 27th, 2011, I will be covering the South Beach Wine and Food Festival. They are in their 10th year. That's a decade. I'll be interviewing winemakers, exhibitors, keynote speakers, and even attendees. So come down, meet me, and say hi. March 18th through the 20th, I'll be at the Boca Bacanal Wine and Food Event. And that is just the schedule so far. Since I'm a media sponsor for the Key West Food and Wine Festival, I've worked out a deal for my listeners so you can purchase tickets at a 20% discount. All you have to do is use the discount code STWG during the checkout process. Keep listening in and following me on Twitter for more information. My Twitter handle, of course, is Stu the Wine Guru. Remember, if you have questions, I have answers, so call me at 1-646-381-4860 or email me at info at stewthewineguru.com or get into the chat room and voice your opinion. Of course, you can get on Twitter and tweet your questions to at Stu the Wine Guru. I'll ask your questions to Kirk and get some answers. 
Let me make sure that everyone listening knows the Tudal Family Winery website and can go there for more information about Kirk and Tudal Wines. To learn more about Kirk Vengi and Tudal Estate Wines, go to www.tudalwinery.com. That's T-U-D-A-L-W-I-N-E-R-Y.com. You can find out about Kirk, the winery, vineyard, history, and of course, hey, buy some wine while you sip some wine. That's what I always say. Let's bring on my guest for the night, the great winemaker, Kirk Vengi. Kirk, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you? I am fantastic. I am Good. glad that we had a chance to have you on the show tonight. Uh, I really appreciate that, you coming on. And I'm happy about... to uh, be with you. This is terrific. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So let me start off with uh, my questions for you. I have a few. We've got yeah. some tweeted questions. We've got some emails from around the world. We've got uh, lots going oh. on here. So let me uh, let me kick it off. All right. So, so for all my listeners out there who may not be familiar with your wines, I'm sure that's a very small few. Just give them a small overview of Tudal Family Vineyards. All right. I, well, I've, I, I'm uh, honored by the compliments. Um, the uh, the Tudal Family is uh, is a winery um, started back a while a long while ago by Arnold Tudal and is uh, now taken forward by his son John Tudal. And uh, you know Arnold started the the winery back in the 70s. And uh, you know some of my history I don't have entirely correct, but it's uh, it's all there on the website. Um, and then John Tudal, uh, I came on board with back in 2009, actually. So I've been with him rather uh, for a short while, but um, boy, it's been fantastic, and it's uh, it's a great little property. Uh, a lot of wonderful ideas happening uh, over there that I'm you know very fortunate to be a part of. And uh, and so yeah, we're making Cabernet, but we're also uh, you know that's what the winery's most known for is its cab, but sure. uh, recently we've we've put out a Chardonnay, Pinot Noir from Russian River. Uh, there's even Zinfandel Syrah, uh, so so a handful of varietals to uh, to complement the the, uh, the the estate's Cabernet. Now the the vintage that you're going to be uh, producing, I think it w- is is going to be coming out. It's not out yet, or it's the 2009, correct? Yeah, it's so it's 2009. You know what I've what I what we have bottled that I've made uh, so far. Well, we've uh, it is 2009 Chardonnay, and then we just recently released the 2009 Pinot Noir. So my 09 uh, 09 cabs are still still quietly resting in barrel. We're going to bottle those up this summer, so in 2011. And uh, yeah, so it's it's just it's just in its infancy right now. So absolutely, and, uh, and that's awesome. I want to tell everybody out there. Yeah, I wanted to tell everybody out there that um, what you can do uh, right now, as I mentioned earlier, is go to the website and uh, you know check out the wines that they have. Uh, I always have to make um, 
a suggestion. I always make the suggestion because I'm I, I I'm in total love with Napa Valley. I think it's a phenomenal place. It's <laughs> one of the best places in the world to have wine um, and to drink it and experience it. And it's definitely an experience. And I I really highly recommend everyone to get out to the winery and check it out and uh, and drink some wine there. Um, so knowing that your dad Nils mm-hmm. uh, is very very well known in the wine industry. Uh, I have a question here. It's it's kind of interesting. Someone tweeted this question, um, and I'm going to give them credit for. It. I'm going to just kind of skip around. You'll you'll know on my show that I go from questions that I have to maybe an email question to a tweet. So let's go to a tweet here, and the question is from. Let's see. Um, okay, it's it's from the Wine Hub from New Jersey. And I happen to know this is Louise's name. And he tweets, um, Nils Vendi is considered to be one of the Napa Valley's best winemakers. How's that working for you? <laughs> Meaning, <obviously, laughs> he is, yeah. He's, he's a legend and uh, still going today. Right. I mean, he's, um, you know, it's, it's big footsteps to follow. You know, he definitely said set a course of, uh, you know, of, of excellence to, to attain. And I think, um, you know, which is great. It's what a, what a, uh, advantage I think, um, in getting into this business, you know, to already have, uh, a family name associated, you know, look at, um, you know, it's, it, which is, which is great. I mean, and those people who know my, my father, you know, everybody who knows him in, you know, loves sharing company with him and he's a good time, uh, for sure. And, um, yeah, and his wines have been consistent and, and, and very good uh, for for many many years. So I, you know, I think it's working out really really well. I, I uh, you know, I, I like to, um, you know, especially in the marketplace. I think Stu, out in the, you know, out in the country when, um, you know, meeting the end consumer and the retailers, you know, from state to state, it's it's always, uh, you know, part of the conversation, or or oftentimes part of the conversation. Hey, I know your dad, and he was in here, you know, last year or two years ago, or I saw him at the right. meeting, and you know, so it, it lays some groundwork, and I think that's an advantage. I mean, there are so many winemakers, and we're all competing for the same shelf space, often. Sure. And and uh, you know, it just it just makes that the uh, the opportunity a little easier, you know. But you still have to make killer wine. I mean, there's no doubt that you know, if if what you're pouring somebody isn't isn't you know going to set them on fire, then there's a lot of other wine to choose, so. Sure, and I want to I want to let everybody know and um, and tell me if I'm right. We're talking to somebody. You're you're about 33 years old. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're you're a relatively young man. Yeah. In, in the wine. Well, yeah. <laughs> so that so I just want to let everybody know that uh you know that's. That's a that's a great feat to be able to be doing what you're doing. Hey, it looks like I have a call here, so maybe we'll take the call. Okay. Um, I always like doing that, you know, as soon as we get a call in here. Hold on a second. Great. Hi, caller. What's your name, and where are you calling from? Hey, uh, I'm Mark from uh, Oakland, California. Hey, Mark. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, what question do you have for Kirk Vengi? Well, Kirk, I, I'm familiar with uh, the Tudor wines because I know they've been around <clears throat> for a long time. Uh, and you're coming aboard. What uh, what differences? Uh, what can we expect now to see from Tudal? Well, uh, very good question, Mark. I appreciate you calling in. Um, <clears throat> this is uh, so. So I think what's going to happen, you know, over at Tudal, 
is a uh, there's a there's a great um, great sense of energy, and I, I think what, uh, what what some of the things I know that that John uh, Tudal, the owner now, is looking forward to is is just a new uh, kind of a new rise in 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 different technique and and some of the the quality aspect and working with the ground in a in a little more modern way. Uh, you know, it, there were some techniques uh, you know looked at. As pretty standard, you know, kind of the way it was always done is, is, you know, a lot of a lot of wineries get get um, get put into a, a history, you know, of, of winemaking, and so I think, I, you know, anytime you change something up, um, you know, the the old cliche, change is good. Uh, we're 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 picking the vineyard in a few different ways. I think you're going to see a little more expression from the the, the estate. I think uh, as far as it goes with Cabernet, and then. With the other wines that we make, the other varietals that, that are becoming featured, I think that's just a um, the opportunity to go out and, and source new uh, premium fruit, premium wine grapes, and uh, and and show you know show the consumer a little more of what we can do, you know, given the opportunity to work with some incredible growers. So so I think in, it's twofold: one with uh, you know a better uh, better understanding of the estate or a new a new um, you know way of going about it, and then. The second thing is just a little more variety uh, to, to present, present to people. So you, you have a uh, you, you said you had a Chardonnay and a uh, Pinot Noir, uh, and wh- where do those uh, uh, where does that fruit come from? Uh, again, good question. The Chardonnay is uh, is sourced from the Maldonado Vineyard, which is in kind of southeast Napa Valley. Of those of you who our listening may have uh, traveled this way coming in from maybe Sacramento Airport. If uh, you come through the Jameson Canyon, it's kind of the last little narrow gap before you come into uh, into the southern end of the Napa Valley. It's probably the coolest area, coolest climate that the valley has. And, um, you know, so we're, we're, we're pulling some Dijon clone Chardonnay from, from this site, from the Maldonado family. Uh, great growers, they've been doing this for Two generations, or 30, 35, or 40 years, something like that, and so uh, wonderful to work with them. Uh, the Pinot, uh, other other companies using this fruit. Uh, I'll just do a little name dropping. Um, they make their own wine. Newton's been purchasing grapes from them for quite some time. Uh, also, Alpha Omega, and um, even uh, even Scolium Project, I believe, is, is pulling fruit from the Maldonado Vineyard. So, good little site. And Kirk. For, that. Quick question, Kirk. Okay. You work also with Bachigalupe, aren't you? Yeah, Bachigalupe for the Pinot Noir. So that's the the the, the Pinot Noir is is Bachigalupe, and uh, that that relationship started in 2009. So we get the Wente clone of Pinot from their upper ranch, which is uh, just this beautiful hillside, wonderful terroir, and uh, you know young vines, but I think with a lot of uh, a lot of potential. I've heard of uh, Bachigalupe. That's a pretty famous vineyard, right? Yeah, the Bachigalupes are are uh you know they've they've um, done a lot of great uh great growing for red estate most recently but even in the past uh they grew the Chardonnay of history serves and I I'm I'd have to uh check my sources on this but I think it was the uh the, the Chardonnay went into Montalena's uh 1976 Taste of Paris which they got third or second or third or fourth place in that it was, um, you know, quite a quite a feat for them. So, uh, we, you know, we're pulling the Pinot Noir right right from uh, a very similar block that, as the Chardonnay. Different varietals, of course, but you know, it's a great uh, Burgundian growing land 
over there. Wow, it's just, it sounds like two dollars really stepping up. Oh yeah, Mark, yeah. I appreciate and it. I think uh, you know, and it's and it's been an easy an easy switch. I mean, I think the the, the thinking outside the box has really um, been a simple. Uh, you know, it's been let me say it's been easy to bring these changes around because everybody's uh, you know more forward thinking and and looking looking around and saying, hey, we don't want to be left out of this great, you know, this this great opportunity and, you know, look at all the other wineries that we're trying to compete against out here in Napa Valley. It's it's time to do more with our, you know, do better by our customers as well. Uh-huh. So, hey, Kirk, thanks so much. Uh, good luck to you. All right. Thank Mark, you. Mark, I want to thank you for calling in, Mark. I really appreciate it. From Oakland. And uh, call into the show anytime. Uh, you've you. got the number. You've got the address. And thanks so much. Have a great evening. You too. Yeah, take care. Take care. So, yeah, we got a lot more questions here. I was going to go on. Um, yeah, and, you know, the great thing is is that you're expanding. You know, your your addition to uh, the the vineyard, you're expanding into other varietals, and that's fantastic. That really, really is good because that you know, it kind of gives a a, a bit of a more of a portfolio to to uh, to choose from for the right. consumer. Uh, let's see, T O social events from Toronto, Canada, tweets, I would be interested to know what Kirk's favorite Napa wine is beyond his own vineyard or outside of Napa, for that matter. So that's T.O. Social Events from Toronto, Canada, tweeting okay. in that question. Uh, my favorite wine um, outside, you know, I I kind of go in many directions here. You know, it's it's um, it's not always easy to, to uh, put a finger on that because I, well, I can, I can name... You know my my very you know my favorite go-to wine. Uh, you know that's that's not well. But then again, that changes because then you try something else. So it's hard to say exactly what's what's the best wine. But I, I can remember a good handful that uh, you know leave a lasting impression. But um, you know right now I'm really really into uh, Southern Rhones. I love Southern Rhone wines and and these uh, Grenache-based Syrah blends and. Um, you know, really fantastic. And some of these smaller, smaller villages of of the Southern Rome, like Rasto okay. and Sigure and, and Sable, some of those those places. But um, just because I think they're very interesting, and and you know, that's that's kind of my my flavor of this week, you know, so to speak. But um, you know, in the past, it's been it's been Chiantis and Brunellos, and you know, some of those wonderful wines. Uh, yeah, I mean, oh, Italy, on a, yeah, absolutely. On a Portugal trip where I just became fell in love with Vino Verde, and you know that didn't last long, but it certainly was a uh, fun while it while it was there. So, uh, but just most mostly looking for interesting wines and and uh, okay, yeah. So but, I've got another tweet here, a couple okay. of them here. Uh, T T Durf from Kenmore, Washington, tweets Kirk. Comment about all the hype over the 07 Napa cabs. Also, specific differences in their lineup of cabs. I guess it's kind of a dual question. Okay, so as as it pertains to two dollar or pertains to to Vengi, I think I think just I think what he's saying is common all the hype over the 07 Napa cabs. I guess that's Napa yeah. in general, and then specific yeah. differences in their lineup of I guess your cabs. Oh, okay, okay. Well, let me see. If I'll do the best I can with that one. Um, you know, the 07 vintage was just a really, really nice season. I mean, wonderful growing conditions, uh, great crop yields, not too heavy, not too light. You know, we came off of, of 05 with with really large yields, but that was also a really nice nice vintage in its own right. And then, 
And then on into 06, which was a, a smaller yielding season, which I really loved 06. I liked it more than I preferred it over 05. And then, uh, and then 2007, with just this really nice, uh, you know, nice season, it, it was it was kind of the best of both worlds, 06 and 05, but just more plush and more richness and depth and complexity, good color, you know, real forgiving wine, easy to work with. Um, so, you know, that that is what has made 07 so wonderful. And then into 2008, we got into a frost season. 2009 was a real rainy year. This season we had a lot of sunburn and, and even more rain. You know, now there there are always going to be good wines that, that, that show through in those vintages. I make enough different wines, and I'm, I'm real happy with, with a, a large handful in, in all of those years, 08, 09, and even this 2010 vintage. Uh, but now as far as the lineup of uh, – so hopefully I, I answered that, Stu, okay. I think so. Uh, yeah, no, no, you did. The Twitter? Most uh, definitely. Yeah, you know, I did, I did with, a good job with, on that. The lineup of cabs, I've got a reserve cab, I've got, uh, you know, in the Vengi lineup, and I'll, 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 I'll talk about that real quickly because I think that may be what, what we're trying to, to ask here. But um, I've got a reserve cab. I have one called the Bone Ash Vineyard. That's my estate uh, in Calistoga, the state property where my winery is. And then uh, I have one called Silencio, and that's, a, uh, that's more of an entry-level kind of $45, $48 price point on that. So... Um, so I have three different Cabernets. Now, as far as Tudal, Tudal has its um, its Clift Vineyard Cab, and it has the uh, the Estate Vineyard. Right. Also, a couple of different Cabernet options there. So I didn't have anything to do with the making of the 07s. I've, right, uh, exactly. And, and only until 2009 have I had my hands in. Right. Those were made by Ron Volstucky and also John Tudal together. Right, right, right. Um, okay, so I'm going to bounce around here. So when you're not working... What do you like to do? Oh, when I'm not working. You know, I I love to travel. You know, I think wine has that effect on people. It's kind of like uh, people sure. who are into art, they want to go to see museums. I love to go see wineries and vineyards and, and see how it's done in other places. So I think that's 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 my favorite, uh, you know, favorite pastime. But that's an expensive one, so you don't get to do that as often. Yeah. Like. So, um, that it is. That. I love uh I love fishing and abalone diving especially. You know, I love to oh, jump nice. to Noma Coast. Yeah, and go go dive for abalone. That's been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I do a little little hunting and yeah, <laughs> that as well. So I just got back from Colorado on a on a bird hunt and that was a great time. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so more outdoorsy stuff. I'm not a, a huge uh you know, I'm not a big baseball fan or a football fan. I mean I love to go to games but um you know, so that, but that, this is, uh, you know, those other things, more outdoorsy, kind of relaxed. Gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. So I've got some emails coming in here fast and furious. Let me uh, get to those. Okay. Um, first one is from Tim at Seven Springs from Warwick, England. All right. Uh, and it says, hi, Kirk, I hope you're keeping well. We are a small 30-acre new South African producer and have just released our first wine, our 2010 Sauvignon Blanc. As a newcomer to the industry, what would be the f- best piece of advice you can give to me? Best wishes from Chile, England, where I live. Thanks. A new as a new brand coming in, I think um, you know. I think get ready to pull up your pull pull your sleeves up and get out there. You know, it's definitely uh, you know there's so much competition. I mean, look, you've got you've got wonderful wines from South Africa and, and mm-hmm. South America, United States, France, it, of course, Italy, Germany, all of Europe makes wine and uh 
you, you need to, have, to come up with a with a good good marketing plan, a good story. Be realistic, and um, you know, just start pounding the pavement and start introducing in, introducing yourself, and just get pub, become public quick. I think is is the uh, well, I'll tell you something. I, I ask, actually know about Tim at Seven Springs. Um, I was one of the two people in the U.S. who has, because he recently just released this uh, 2010 Sauvignon Blanc. And I have to tell you, just, you know, you may want to watch out there. Uh, this is a great Sauvignon Blanc. They did a phenomenal job on it. In fact, um, if you take a look on uh, YouTube, you'll see I did a, a video review of this particular one. So I'm just, just giving you a heads up for if you want to try a really nice Sauvignon Blanc out there, they do, do a great job as a first-time vintner. Um, the next one is from Anton Vine from, well, speaking of South Africa, uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. And it says, Stu, great show. I am new to this, but I think you have a great, you have great wine knowledge. My question for Kirk is, how do you think your wines fare or wine fares on the world market. What countries do you sell them in? Thanks. So that's from Anton Vine from Johannesburg, South Africa. Okay. You know, really, we don't have much of an international market. I, I do have wine in China in the Hong Kong market, and that's okay. actually through through way of a uh, kind of a communal tasting room like like setting where it was a, a, a company came to us, and we got introduced kind of in a happenstance, and we. Uh, we were asked to join uh, 25 other wineries from California to, to uh, go in as partners on a tasting room in, in Hong Kong right. with the idea that then they would grow to another tasting room and another and another, you know, over the course of the next five years and then maybe sell the business. But, you know, who knows where you go from there. So really our international uh, exposure is very, very limited. You know, what we really survive on, and I only, um, you know, and, and for Tudal, you know, that, you know, Lest we forget um, the Tudal brand, the, I you know it's mo- more of more of a, a, a loyal following, loyal tasting room uh, clientele and and mailing list, and so that's kind of the same way I run the Vengi brand as well. Right now we're still you know we've been at this. The Vengi brand's been in existence existence since 1994, uh, uh, but it's just only right. to grow as I've taken it over and I've been doing it kind of in a careful way, especially with the economy is rickety as it, as it is. So if we started jumping in the international market, which I would love to do, um, you know, one of two things, it's, it's having the inventory to do that and then sure. uh, and following through with it, which takes, you know, a staff and some labor. So Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I don't have much of an exposure in the international market except okay. the Hong Kong uh, program, which I'm pretty excited about. Which i got to say is kind of interesting. The next person <laughs> is from Hong Kong. Um mm-hmm. It says, uh, next one is from Shai Chen, 66, from Hong Kong, China. And it says, Stu, you have a very interesting show. I like it. I would like to ask Kirk if he has traveled to China and thinks we could be, uh, thinks that we could be a formidable wine producer in the years to come. That's an interesting question. Yeah, so, uh, uh, you know, I have, I have been to Hong Kong before. This was uh, back in 1999. So it was a long time ago. I was more just kind of traveling to see the world type of, a, 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 you know, setting but um you know as far as china you know you hear constantly the uh the rumblings of china emerging as a wine producing country which mm-hmm. i think that's fantastic you know i i i love to see uh, wines from everywhere i don't really look at it as as uh wow there's one more thing coming out i think it's wow there's there's uh, you know an interest there's great opportunity to 
to be turned on to uh, new wines. And I've, um, you know, apparently there are some incredible terroirs and some countryside perfect for growing grapes in China. I have not visited any of these, uh, but um, I think the potential is right there to make world-class okay. yeah. wine. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you, by the way, a thousand percent. I've always thought that there is, you know, there are thousands of varietals of grape vines. I don't know how many there are, like 2,500 or 4,000. I mean, it's way up there. And I yeah. think you can plant, there's always the perfect thing to plant in the right site. I mean, I granted you can't stick a vine in the North Pole and expect it to grow, but I think there is always the perfect thing to that can go on, can adapt to just about any situation. Yeah. I mean, look at Arizona. I mean, people, mm-hmm. you know, who would have thought 10 years ago that you could plant in the desert and actually, and actually make anything, you know, get, get any wine out of it. But in, in, they're, they're thriving. And, and as I see it, they're definitely kind of like the next South America, uh, if you will, or Argentina and, uh, and Chile as far as wine producers uh, go. As far as popularity, because I think they're you know they're really starting to produce some some really excellent wines. This is just something that I'm I'm noticing uh, about the wine landscape as it as it is. So the next one is from Bienvin 100 from Paris, France, and it says, "Stu, your show is superb, magnifique. I listen every week, and I'm amazed at the guests you get on your show. My question for Kirk is, do you think that old world wine practices in viticulture?" are used in the winemaking process in Napa? And if so, do you think it's done to perfection? I don't know why they said perfection, but, yeah, and that's the question. Yeah, I think that's all. it all comes down to, you know, uh, tasting what you like. But, you know, the thing to remember also is that, you know, the old world flavors, new world flavors, I mean, you can just take it down to another level. It's There's, you know, the flavors of French terroir and French uh, Appalachian, and then there's there's California or Oregon and Washington. You know, and they're all, um, you know, they're all they're all different. They're all you know they're all going to taste like the places they're from. And but yeah, as far right. as old world technique, absolutely. You know, we um, you know for for example, Tudal Bachelupe Pinot Noir is uh, is made entirely old world. I mean, I use uh, it's you know 10% whole cluster. With the the stems intact, and then we do some yeah some nice destemming on top of that. It's all made in open top containers, with hand punch down, and uh, then basket pressed. You know, all native yeast, native malolactic, and never racked for uh, the next 11 months, and then we bottle. So that's pretty Burgundian. I think that's that's a recipe that's been going back for centuries. Um, oh sure. The very hands off, just let the let the wine be. I'd rather. Yes, do you rather work with clones of varietals than trying to manipulate them on the back end? I think uh, I think you can find the the right flavors through the different you know types of of wine, and it's very much like like you know look, you know to go back to old world winemaking. Look at clones and look at plantings. I think that's where you have you know old vineyard plots, but then they're replant you know as as vines die, they get replaced with something right of the, of, of the neighbor's selection that's so great or a different varietal maybe even just for a, for a handful of those plants and then you get these field blends that that are magical and sometimes they're not but um but yeah i think as far as as old world technique even this year we we're, we're taking the heads out of barrels and we're using the small barriques uh as, as the fermentation vessels you know so oh sure sure you, you know, yeah. that's an interesting technique yeah yeah i love uh, it i love it i think you can get some nice round tannin good mouth great mouth feel and all the while controlling temperature 
um, you know, we just, uh, you know, we, we're not making it up as we go along, but we certainly are having fun with uh, with the different directions that we take. Absolutely. So I have one tweeted here. I've been going back and forth between tweets and, and emails from Campania Wines, uh, and she is from uh, Campania, Italy. It says, hi, Stu. Um, I'd like to ask Mr. Vengi if and what has changed in the past 30 years in, in a Napa Cabernet, taste-wise. And it just says generically. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, um, you know, fortunately for me, I mean, as a young winemaker, I've been doing, I've been at this all my life. I, you know, if some of your listeners know where Rutherford is in the Napa Valley, that's where I was born and raised. And, and uh, you know, I learned to ride a bicycle in the BV Par- Boyu Vineyard BV parking lot. You know, that's where I that was kind of <laughs> my, my playground back then before tourism sure. was as a high, and it was safe to do something like that. But nowadays, you'd get get killed. Someone yeah. going to the Rutherford Grill would knock you down. But um, you know, I, uh, I I I remember you know my my father um, has been making wine now for over 40 years in Napa Valley, and so that's really where where I get my my background and uh, growing up and going to the vineyard and and you know since I was four years old I was helping out you know in the in, in the in the vineyard and during harvest and I can remember you know he'd be elated when you know you hold the refractometer the the sugar measure up to the light and he would be it, thrilled for a 23.5 that was always the standard cabernet and then you know sure. when we do the reserve cab pick we'd pick it just a little riper at 24.2 you know and that was that was always his golden number that was the reserve uh sugar that we'd really shoot for now those that translates into you know a 13 alcohol or a third right. you know thir- high 13s or a low 14 alcohol bottle of wine and today you know we're we're pushing limits past 15 and a half up to 16 16 and a half sure. sometimes or more, you know, it can. It and I'm, I just want to interject, and I'm glad you explained. I'm glad you explained that process yeah. uh, to people because very few people understand that and know about that. Uh, you know, as far as checking and understanding the residual sugar and what that equates to uh, mm-hmm. in the alcohol level in the wine, and and that's something that I have to say has uh, gone up in Napa Valley more so than I've noticed in other countries, wine-producing countries, um, I'm not necessarily um, a big fan of the alcohol level getting higher. Uh, And the reason I say that is because to the untrained palate, people immediately, when they go to sniff the wine and get their bouquet in the nose, they already get the alcohol on it. That's the first thing I think people pick up. Again, just my opinion, one man's opinion. But I think people pick that up immediately. Um, before they pick up all the other uh, notes on it. And that being said, the more alcohol, sometimes people equate that with being off-putting because they don't, um, you know, they don't want, they, they don't want it to, to, to smell the alcohol first and then, and then try to get all the other notes, the, the, the berry, the, the oak, the cedar, and so on and so forth. So it's just something that I've, I, I've kind of, picked up on consumer-wise over the course of time that unfortunately they equate higher alcohol level um, with, um, you know, it, it's not an attribute taste-wise that they appreciate. Yeah. You know what I'm, you see what I'm saying, where I'm going yeah, with Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, here's, here's, here's something interesting. I mean, um, you know, 
people are drinking wine, and I think you'd agree. I mean, let me know if you don't. But I think people are drinking wine a lot quicker now. They're not they're not buying wine to put it away for ten years. I mean, I, I've got a right, client, right. Baccio Divino, and he is a Claus Jansen's a fantastic wine collector. I mean, he buys cases of wine to put away and and break out in five years, ten years, fifteen years. Right. And right. and that's how he's he's always purchased his wine. But I look at that as a quite a rarity and. And uh, you know, and, and he even he even agrees. He says, you know, Kirk, people are buying wine to drink now, with with the alcohol, Stu, with you know, to get riper, richer, rounder flavors that come around quicker. We have to age wine, or we have to ripen grapes to a further degree because we need to tone those tannins down and drop the acid away. And I had right. you know this conversation with with, and I'm not a not a fan of name dropping, but this is someone you know a, a quality source who, who you know, can chime in on this, this topic quite well is Robert Parker. It was two years, it was three years ago now, it was three years ago that uh, we had, he was in the Napa Valley going around making his, his tasting appointments, and he was at Saddleback at my dad's winery where I, I tasted uh, with him the Vengi wines and a handful of client wines. And we got to the topic of higher alcohol, and he says, look, you know, wine is an alcoholic beverage that, you know, is going to have alcohol there. And to what degree is very... You know, it's it's random, but if it says it's uh, wine says it's 15, don't don't take for granted that's going to be hot and in your face. If it's if it's out of balance, it could it could be 14 alcohol and it could be hot and in your face. But if True. you have you know if you have a wine of balance and 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 subtle structure and subtlety, and it's something that you prefer, then you know it's subjectively it's a good it's a good thing for you. I agree, I agree with that. I, in fact, I was going to say, and then the the, the caveat. To what I was saying, as far as the high alcohol and consumers being off-putted by it, is that everybody's palate is different. Everybody's, you know, taste and 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 how they perceive taste uh, is completely different. So it's subjective. So yeah. you know, where where you can say one thing, on the other hand, you can also say, well, yeah, absolutely. But some people, uh, you know, uh, when they taste a the wine to more of the initiated palate, even with a 15% alcohol. Uh, if it's crafted properly, it tastes great, you know, and you don't, and you don't really pick up. You know, you may pick it up on the nose, but the, it, the nose is completely different from the palate, and um, and so it, and the taste becomes completely different, and the finish becomes completely different. And sometimes people, are, it's very deceiving, you know. But um, anyway, so the next question is from Kiki eight nine six from Athens, Greece, and it says, Stu, I love your show. You really inform me as well as entertain me. I like that. My question is, what similarities and what differences are there in Napa wine making versus European wine making? I guess this is a bit of a novice, but that's okay. Thank you, Kiki896 from Athens, Greece, for asking your question. So, Kirk, you want to yeah, chime in? As far as wine making technique, I think, um, and I, yeah, so correct, I'll repeat the question. I think it's she's asking, what are the differences in wine making technique? What are the similarities uh, and what are the differences? You know, I, I I don't know that there. I, I think it would come down to probably tradition. The mo is is the most. You know, in California, yeah. gosh, we really don't have any tradition. I'm not stuck on making wine any one particular way. I know what I've been successful with, and I want to keep keep myself somewhat grounded. But I'm certainly not afraid to try new things. You know, there's there's uh, you know you you get into trends like micro oxidation or or these these things that have kind of kind of come and gone a little bit and uh 
but I think in Europe maybe you stay connected to the way it's been made for years. Like if, you know, say for instance, um, a great example, Romani Conti, if they changed their, you know, if they changed their winemaking practice, practices drastically, you know, or the wines that are so fantastic, you know, that were 20 years old or 30 years old were made, uh, you know, made in a different way than, than they are now, I think, uh, I think that would, that might not be so good for the, for the producer, I you know, no one's going to remember a Vengi wine from from eight years ago as as to how how great it was versus what they taste and love today. You know, I just want to make wine better and better and better, regardless of how it's of how it's made. I mean, I'm trying different you know short macerations, extended macerations, hot temperatures, right. cold temperatures. There is no recipe. It's all, it's it's vintage to vintage, you know, with, with how we do things. How we pick a vineyard. Do we pick the AM side one day and we pick the PM side the next day? Or do do we hack up the field a little differently? Like a Tudal in the river block uh, that's on the estate, we'll, we will pick that, that piece four different ways, you know. But this year, I, that was in 2009. This year in 2010, it was picked in only three different ways. And so we're trying to, uh, to, to, to constantly change, but to adapt to the season. And I think um, but I, I wouldn't say that, that in Europe any, that's any different. But, but right. it may be, you know, their hands may be, may be more tied to tradition. And that, that without having made wine there, I'm not really sure. But now there's so many young guys in Europe that, that are in France, in the Languedoc, or, or, what, or in the Rhone, what have you, that are doing some amazing things with ripeness and technique that starting to turn that, that uh, industry on its head a little bit and saying, hey, wake, wake up, uh, old-timers, you got to try something new. And, I, and wine writers have a lot to do with that as well. I think wine writers are going to steer the direction of, of, uh, of what a, a, an AVA will taste like or an Appalachian should, should come around to. True, true. I, I think, unfortunately, sometimes we're given – I say we as part of a wine journalist because I, I write and review um, – and I don't mean me particular. I mean we as a, a general. I use the general term. Uh, are given far more power <laughs> than we're due. Um, or and and um, and I've said this before, so this is not any shock. I think that the number rating that is given by different, uh, you know, tried and true magazines and uh, um, are are a good guide. But I, I, I feel too much import is put into them. And the reason I say that is, look, if you're a novice and you read uh, a different magazine, you know, Wine Spectator and, and, and Wine Enthusiast and all that, um, uh, and the Robert Parker, I think they're extremely knowledgeable and they're great guides for people that want to have a, a general idea as to what the wine is about. But wine, like anything else, is an experience. And people have to be able to taste the wine and to make their own opinion, to make their own, uh, to, to give their own opinion about it. So I've always been t- said to people, hey, look, you know, um, use it as a, a general guide, but don't put all your import into what it says because, you know, your palates can be completely different. And when you taste it, you may think a completely different thing from it. So yeah. having said that, uh, I'm going to move on to Champagne Houses from Toronto, Canada, and she tweets, do you believe that there are better quality, lower-priced wines today than in past vintages? That's, she, by the way, has one, two, three, four, 
five questions for you. Oh, wow. <laughs> she was very interested. Yeah, she was very interested <laughs> in, in, in you being on the show and asking her questions of you. So that's the first. So do yeah. you think that you believe that there are better quality, lower priced wines today than in past vintages? You know, uh, I think you could find some some. There's a lot of opportunity out there right now because there, you know, with the whenever there's a downturn in economy and then there becomes a glut of wine, then certainly uh, products surface that you you wouldn't imagine at a price point, and and that comes with competition as well. There's a sea of wine with greater competition. Of course, price, you know, it's all the supply and demand. Uh, curve type of thing. So I think, sure, yeah, absolutely, right. you can find find some some great deals. Now, you know, six years ago, when when anybody wanted to come into, and I can speak for Napa Valley uh, to this degree, you know, you'd come into Napa Valley and say, I'm going to make a $60 bottle of Cabernet, and you could make a $60 bottle of Cabernet, and you'd make 500 cases of it, and you would sell out, uh, you know, within six months, and, and that's with just getting your feet wet. Today, if you tried doing that, you know, it better, it better be a strong effort because um, it's going to be so scrutinized, especially at a price point that hardly moves in, in, in right. the marketplace. And um, but hey, real quick before we jump onto that, one more thing about about the the wine reviews, Stu, if you don't mind me me chiming in. No, I, you know, whatever. You, I, absolutely, go ahead. Say say there's uh, in, a new up and coming region. Say the um, you know uh, you know a little hinterland of. Of Europe, or you know, of, of of southern Spain, someplace, or or northern France, or what have you, and then you you, right. you start to see some shining stars. You know, Stu, Stu Noodleman sees uh, producer X, Y, and Z is making an incredible thing and tags it with the 95 points, and then it's backed up by uh, the Wine Spectator, or backed up by by uh, the Advocate. Um, you know, as producers, that neighborhood's going to take a take a look around and say, oh wow, who's that and what are they doing? Let's go find out how right. that wine is made. Okay, and now that that's when, you know, the competition begins, and you start to say, okay, I can adapt that practice in my house, and we can get that piece of equipment, or we can get those tank warmers or those special tanks, or we can start using concrete and oak or whatever, you know. And um, so that's how that's how a lot of trends are are, are, are invented, you know. Yeah. Um, but, no, I give it. I think I think yeah. that's a, that's a very astute and very uh, um, precise concept and and i think it's true i mean I, I definitely do i just like i said i always i always feel that in talking to people well, i'll give you an example from the retail perspective people who'd come into a store and say well here you know i want to get this wine because so and so said it's a 95 and um you know and what well, would you like well yeah that's a good wine however but there you know there's 20 other wines that are you know uh that are as good or um well you know, you, do you want to spend forty, or do you want to spend fifteen? Well, I'd like to spend fifteen, but I want to get this wine, which is forty. You, you see what I'm going? Yeah. Uh, the idea is is that people get so hung up about a number prior to ever trying anything, or really, you know, considering everything else, every other player on the market, yeah. that that's why they they do it, and then you know that's how they buy wine. That without ever, it's like okay, so and so said it's this, so I'm going to go get that wine, and and that's what I'm going to drink for my Pinot Noir, and this is what I'm going to drink for my Pinot Grigio, this is what I'm going to drink for my Chardonnay, and this. So I think the idea is, I've always said, go out and try everything, 
Try everything you can. Try try different types of varietals, ones that you've never had before or never heard, you know, have just heard about. Try it on a whim. Try it on someone who yeah. mentioned it to you. You know what I'm saying? Because there's so much wine out there. And 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 it's for me, I always think it's best to, to try as much as you can so that you train your palate, so that you learn about different types of varietals, regions, appellations, and so forth from the actual experience as opposed to something that was written down from someone who, again, I, I give a com- tremendous amount of credit to, but I always say to use it, you know, the caveat is use it with a grain of salt. That's basically what I, I preach. It's just use that, that number as a, uh, as a, a general guide uh, and then use your palate as your <laughs> decision maker, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's back to the first, one of the first topics we, we touched upon was, what are your favorite wines? And it just it goes in waves. I just get turned on to different things that you know all sure. around every corner. So it's, yeah, it's pretty fun. I agree. I'm the same way. I I get into a Pinot Noir uh, phase. I get into a Cabernet phase. I go into a Italian wines. It just changes. Uh, and it's also the mood you're in, the food you're eating, the people you're with. You know, it all all changes. Yeah. Um, okay. So another yeah. question was, uh, it says, what's your favorite innovation in the wine industry over the past few years? That's a good question. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, favorite innovation is probably, uh, you know, and it's not, it, again, this isn't a rocket science thing, but um, I would say is, is the level of sorting that we are, we're able to perform now or the, the, the level of, um, you know, taking, taking a cluster of grapes and dissecting out, you know, the, the, the parts of it you wouldn't want to have come connect with your wine. So, we're able to right. drop sunburn. We're able to pull sunburn out. We're able to pull all the green, or what we call the jacks, the bits of stems that that get disconnected during uh, during the um, you know the destemming portion, or just right. raisins. And and we can drop uh, shot berries, all these little tiny hard berries that never never uh, get anywhere during the ripening. And Merlot is especially prone to shot and poor set. So. You know, just this this suturage or this, uh, this this selective sorting. I mean, I've got a sorting table uh, here at the winery that um, that will remove you know 99% of anything uh, you know that you wouldn't want to end up in the fermenter. And so I think that's that's a wonderful resource. And and uh, to me, that's that's what I rely pretty heavily on at this time of harvest because harvest is when 85% of the wine is made. I mean, once it's in barrel, you can't reverse the clock. You have to make a good picking decision. And then what you do with the grapes uh, from there forward? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I would attest that you know that's a great question, but I think to me it's, yeah. it's the level of sorting and and uh, you know that we can we can make have happen. And by the way, you, you're not the only one that has. Uh, I, I've had that that question's come up before in a variety of different variations to uh, to the winemakers I've had some of the guests and. I'm trying to think who it was, but recently someone, one of the winemakers, and they'll, they'll forgive me for not mentioning who they were. Um, of course, it'll come to me after the show is over. Uh, but they talked about seeing um, a technology, and I think it was in Europe, where they have like almost a laser beam that wow. uh, is now available that literally um, can go through and, like you said, dissect yeah. the clusters. To you know, the, and get it down with, to uh, Michael Salachi of Opus One. He's got. I believe it was. He has you know what? I think it was. Dominus Estate has one of these. Actually, I purchased my sorting equipment 
uh, from Dominus, uh, who who sold it uh, to me this season, and uh, they got it's called the Seeing Eye, I think, is what it's called. But it's a um, a really yes. nice technology that uh, where a photograph is taken of poor quality fruit, so the the this uh, Seeing Eye table can recognize that. And then I think what it is, it's kind of like an air. I have not seen one of these have work before, but I think it's an air hockey kind of a table that blasts air and rejects. I was about to say, that Michael said that. Of fruit, yeah, so that either it's yeah. a leaf or it's a jack or it's an undercolored berry. I think there's there's going to be some, some you know, discrepancy in that piece of equipment because it's not a pair of human eyes looking at it, and it's every, every vineyard comes in with a little different uh, quality and character. We're not, you know, not every every barrel com- berry comes in like you know with this shape and structure of a marble some of it comes in quite quite sloppy in fact but you still make great wine from it when it's overripe or such but um but yeah opus one has this and dominus estate has this as well that's what it was and, and i'm glad thank you for for reminding me and 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 michael <laughs> you were the person <laughs> that talked about it so i wanted to make sure that uh you know i give give the credit to you yeah it was pretty amazing so we have yeah. about three minutes left here what i wanted to do was ask a few things like one um are there any upcoming events at the vineyard or the winery that you want to tell my listeners about so if they're planning a trip to napa valley from wherever they are in the world uh they can get you know go to it that's a great question Tudal, um you know it's they have a wonderful tasting room a fantastic setting uh as far as uh, events coming up in uh, in the near future, I don't know of any this late in the season. You know, we usually kick things nice. off in the springtime, and I think uh, on the website or or through um, you know through their mailing that they'll they'll be able to present that. But the tasting room experience there at Tudal is just wonderful, and I, I recommend everybody uh, coming to Napa Valley to go check them out. Um, Doug Isley is the tasting room, uh, you know, he's the general manager on property and also one of the tasting room hosts, and he does a magnificent job of explaining the estate and walking through the wines and uh, bringing you really face-to-face with um, with the wines of Tudal. And, and, yeah, it's a, it's a unique experience. There's the tractor shed that you enter into to talk wine and, uh, you know, sure. it's kind of a neat, neat, neat thing. Sorry, I've got a phone well, ringing in the background. I apologize. <laughs> but, no, no, not yeah, a problem no, at all. So well, I, I think that's what we got for the, for, the, for the show for tonight. I really, really want to thank you so much, Kirk, for coming on the show. Um, okay. It's been a great experience. Um, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, you really kind of laid it out for everyone to, to know about and understand what $2 is all about. So, and I will definitely have you on again, and I appreciate it. And, and, and as soon as I'm in Napa, within sniffing distance of $2, yeah. I'm definitely going to stop in and, and, uh, and say hi. We would love that. I would love that opportunity, Stu. Thank you very much. And, and anytime uh, you, need a, you need a guest on, let me know, and I'll, I'll be there for you. You got it. Thanks okay. so much. A lot of Take fun care. talking wine with you. All right. Have a great evening. Thanks. You too, Stuart. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was Kirk Vengi of Tudal Winery. Um, I want to thank him for coming on the show. Uh, it was a great, great, uh, great in- interview and great fun. Um, I want to thank everyone who listened in, who called in, who emailed and tweeted their questions. Um, as always, if you have any questions about the show, you can email them to info at or if you're on Twitter, you can always tweet me questions at StuTheWineGuru at any time during the week or any time that you like, and I'll read them on the air for my guests. You can go to my website at 
www.stewthewineguru.com and click on the link for all my wine articles, videos, and to listen to archived wine talk shows. As I always say, if it's time to pour the wine, it's time for Stew the Wine Guru. Drink up, good wine, and good night. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening.